Please listen carefully. Welcome in, everyone. We've got another episode of the Heard It Here Sports Podcast for you today. Today, it can be a more somber topic. We're discussing Alabama quarterback Tua Tagovailoa and the very, very scary hit he took last weekend versus Mississippi State. That was later diagnosed as a hip dislocation and a fracture. We're going to discuss on that podcast how that injury occurred and what ramifications that will have on the rest of his career. I actually brought on my own father, Dr. Barry Hurd. He himself is a surgeon and recognized pretty quickly after watching the injury that it was most likely a hip dislocation. And he also spoke to an orthopedic surgeon that he knows and got some further insight on the injury. For some context, as I mentioned, this game, Alabama versus Mississippi State, this came the week after Alabama had played LSU, a big recruiting weekend for Alabama. This was a game in which, right after the first release of the college football playoff rankings, for those who don't know, college football for the last few years has had a four-team playoff system. This is decided by a committee of, I believe, 12 to 14 people. I, I, I don't know. It's, it's a group of people that decides the rankings. These rankings decide which teams are in the college football playoff. In the first iteration of the rankings, Ohio State took the number one spot. Louisiana State, LSU, and Alabama were second and third, respectively. And Penn State was fourth. My... Clemson Tigers were one spot outside the playoff at the fifth spot. All five of those teams were undefeated, by the way. Just pointing out facts here. Just pointing out facts. Not throwing any shade, just pointing out facts. But, as I was saying, this LSU versus Alabama game was the 2-3 matchup. I was pretty certain this would decide the number one Seed, I was pretty certain they put Ohio State there just to make them feel good, you know? Just make them feel like the number one for a while. But LSU did win that game versus Alabama. LSU, number one in next week's polls. Ohio State dropped a two. Alabama lost, so they did drop. However, Penn State also lost that week. To Minnesota, so Penn State dropped out of the top four as well. So we saw Clemson move up to three. University of Georgia moved up to the fourth slot. Georgia lost a couple of weeks ago to the University of South Carolina, who themselves are struggling and recently, as of last <laughs> last weekend, uh, lost to Appalachian State. So not a particularly exciting. State of Affairs in Columbia. They were able to beat Georgia, though, earlier this year, which is more of a mark on Georgia's resume than a credit to South Carolina, I must say. However, 
in these rankings, the University of Alabama, who had lost that game to LSU, followed up fifth spot. So Alabama was just one game, or sorry, one slot outside of the playoffs. You know, this was with a couple of weeks left in the year. However, what we did know was going to happen. So, to be fair, there were a couple of teams. Utah was undefeated. Minnesota was undefeated. Minnesota has since lost. Uh, Oregon has one loss and certainly looks good. But for all intents and purposes, I think this is the scenario as an Alabama fan you could have seen playing out. LSU, Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, all of those teams all win out. Alabama's in that fifth slot. However, Georgia and LSU are playing in the SEC championship game. I don't know about you. I'm probably going with LSU. I, I, I feel pretty confident picking LSU in that game, though I would, I would not be stunned at all if Georgia won, so perhaps I should reel back that confidence. Assume, though, the LSU does win, while a two-loss Georgia team drops, and Alabama certainly seems to be the team that would fill that slot. I mean, they have filled the fourth slot before as a non-participant in the SEC championship. We saw that literally, I believe that was two years ago, when they won the title um, in 2017. That was the year Tua Tagovailoa actually stepped in in the second half of the national championship for phenomenal quarterback Jalen Hurts, now over at Oklahoma. Uh, crazy how that stuff works. But this is all to say Alabama had a pretty clear shot at getting in the college football playoffs. What you did know, though, especially if Georgia was to defeat LSU, Alabama would have to have a very, very strong case. They would have to look awfully impressive in these next couple of games. So, flashback to the Alabama game versus Mississippi State. Mississippi State, a pretty mediocre team this year. They've certainly had impressive years in the past. They, they did produce current Dallas, quarter, uh, Dallas Cowboys quarterback Dak Prescott. Not particularly impressive this year, however. Alabama was up to a 35-7 lead with only three minutes, three minutes in the second quarter. So the first half wasn't even over yet, and they're up 35-7. to However, you know, a few minutes left in the second quarter, about to go into halftime, Tua petitions Nick Saban in the huddle to go back in to run the two-minute offense. It, it was it's just uncanny, actually. You saw, uh, after the commercial break before this drive, a little promo of Mac Jones... The, whatever, the new Alabama quarterback, and I, I read that. It's just so strange to read. But they were, as they say, in the backup booth coming in pretty much. 35-7, uh, I mean, yeah, you're still in the second quarter, but why not just put the backup in? Um, Tua, you saw him in the huddle. He goes up to Saban and, like, petitions him. So Tua comes into the game to run the two-minute drill. Looks, you know, fine. They run a couple plays. Third and four, Tua takes a snap. Drops back, holds for a couple seconds, Tua rolls out to the left, and then as he starts to throw the ball, he is tackled from behind by two defensive players. Tua rolls over, his helmet has popped off, and his nose is ble bleeding profusely. 
Um, instantly, obviously, you see trainers rush the field. They were they were you know, responsive. They sort of hunch over him. You know, they're, they're crouched around him, sort of. Tua is hunched sort of forward, face down on his knees. But he is sort of almost in plank position, but up like with his elbows supporting him, his head like on the ground, very much in, he's very clearly in a lot of discomfort. He sort of got up on his arms at one point and then had to get back down. They showed a replay during this where you can see Tua is just kind of running and then as he is throwing and getting tackled, he's still facing, so so um, when he's tackled, his right knee is still kind of running f- to the side. So th- he's tackled from behind. So his knee is still going forward, and these guys are tackling the opposite side. His knee, his, his body has the same momentum in the same direction, and his knee just sort of crushes into the ground. And what you see is just... That, that, I mean, that was the only, when I was just watching this, not knowing what he was diagnosed with, that was the only motion I saw that would lead to a catastrophic injury, was that knee getting up inside, hitting the ground, and just something was getting dislodged, um, you would imagine. So that replay, I could really tell where that had happened. You know, it was that right knee that sort of got caught under him caught sort of inside and forced back in. Um, really, ironically, it's, it's almost funny, but it's just not in this case. The, the announcer says something like, um, it's not a lower body injury, so that's good. It, and it's just, it was, it was hard to see. Nobody could really tell. The trainers were just sort of unsure of what to do. They pick him up. They sort of are trying to help him off. Like if it was an ankle injury or even an ACL, you can just... You know, you have the other leg and you just walk off and the other guys are swinging your leg. But Tua could not move. He just couldn't move. His body was not rotating at all. That was something I noticed was, and that makes a lot of sense when you know the hip is dislocated. It's his, his body just could not shift, which means walking is just not possible. It's just, it's almost impossible to exist like that. There's just no motion in which you can move the dislocated hip. They, they end up sort of having him held up standing there for 30, 45 seconds even. You know, it seemed just obnoxiously long. But, I, you know, and at the time I was frustrated. I thought maybe it was injuring him more. But, you know, I, I think there's something to the fact that the damage was done at that point, you know, and they were, they were panicked. They didn't really know what was going on. This is a somewhat unprecedented injury. You know, eventually the cart comes over, um, and they help him onto the cart. It was crazy. So they have this lady sit on the back, and Tua had to almost use her like a pillow. He's, like, laying up against her because he, he can't do a full, like, lay or even a sit on that hip. He has to just sort of sort of lean in a, uh, it, it's. I would imagine most of you have seen the clip. I mean, if it's 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 awful. It's awful to see because they just you know can't die. They they have no idea what the injury is, so it's so hard to know how to deal with them. And it just it hurts. It hurts to watch. And as he's carted off, 
Um, you can just tell he's in excruciating pain. They were able to reduce the hip in the locker room, so I mean there was no further damage. But I'm gonna I so I'm gonna bring on my dad in a second here. But it's just really tough to you know talk about that sort of injury. So it seems pretty clear right away that this injury is gonna have major implications on the rest of Tua's career. Um, how severe are those implications, though? I want to dive into that a little deeper with uh, my father, Barry Hurd, uh, res- uh, s- surgeon over at Spartanburg Regional Hospital System. Surgeon for how many years have you been a surgeon at this yeah, point? Over 20 years now. Yeah. It's an impressive resume. Um, I wanted to bring him in to talk about the Tua injury that we've been talking about. Just, just tell me a little bit about this injury. What the, what what the body undergoes when a hip is dislocated. So I was going to say, you know, not only is Tua's injury going to affect Tua's career, it's probably going to affect college football players as a whole. We already see kids that are skipping out of bowl games and Joey Bosa dropping out after his injury, and and now something like this happens to a, a young kid like Tua. I mean, it's really going to affect decision makings down the road but it it was a horrific injury when I saw it I mean it was gruesome because he was trying to stand up and clearly the trainers had no idea what was going on he had blood pouring out of his nose he had a towel over his face he was covered in blood and clearly he was in agony so over the years you know I've seen a few injuries in sporting games but that was one of the more gruesome ones to watch I think because it's it's an unusual injury, right? We talked about it. We sort of reviewed it and looked at it. And this just doesn't happen very often in football, right? This is a common injury you would see in a car wreck. This is the classic sort of knee goes into a dashboard. It drives your femur and your femoral head back into the socket or the acetabulum. You get a fraction of dislocation. So I take trauma call. You know that. We see this injury all the time in bad car wrecks. But in football, man, that's really unusual. And I did a little, you know, everybody knows about the Bo Jackson one, but the other one that had it was uh, actually the current Clemson quarterback coach, Brandon Streeter, apparently had a posterior hip dislocation back in 1999. He was a senior. They were playing Georgia, and he went back for a pass, and apparently one of the linebackers from Georgia dumped him on his head. Um, He had terrible hip dislocation. His was in such a way that they actually had to take him to the local hospital sedate and put him under to reduce his hip. Um, again, I don't know if that affected his career and how that affects him today, but that was another one that it happened. So the, the other thing that became clear about Tua's injury is you can have a posterior hip dislocation alone or an association with a fracture, right? The one that happens alone, um, it means it pops out of the socket all on its own. You're more likely to get avascular necrosis with that. That's what Bo Jackson had. Avascular necrosis always leads to a hip replacement, and a hip replacement means your days doing contact sports are over. You can play some golf, maybe close some tennis, but that's it. But you can also get a hip dislocation associated with a fracture, so a posterior fracture, and that's what Tua had, right? So that posterior fracture allows the hip to dislocate, but maybe you don't disrupt all the capsule and all the blood supply. And we could kind of tell that right away because it, the reports came out early on that when he was in the locker room, they probably did an x-ray, and they were to reduce his hip in the locker room. And without a fracture, you're probably not going to be able to reduce it in the locker room. You're going to have to go to the hospital. You're going to have to go to general anesthesia because you have to pull a lot harder on that leg to reduce it. So so what he had was the, was the dislocation with the fracture. And what we suspect is 
you know, to fix this, you know, the, you don't have to fix all acetabular fractures. It just depends on how bad it is. So Tua went to Houston. There's some experts in Houston. What they probably did was put him to sleep on the OR table, and they manipulated his leg under fluoroscopy or x-ray and to see how unstable it was. And I, I imagine what they saw is it was relatively unstable, so they went in surgically and put plates and screws and repaired that posterior acetabulum. And that allows the socket to sit nicely where it is. So, so the good thing about that is that the risk of avascular necrosis is relatively low in that situation. So he's not going to get avascular necrosis. He's probably not going to get a hip replacement. But the problem is it's still a major injury to your joint. And when that happens, you're at risk for damaging the cartilage. You know, damaging the cartilage is what leads to arthritis. You know, arthritis tends not to be a young kid thing, an older person thing, but he's certainly at much more risk for getting arthritis at an earlier age. And even even beyond that, things like stiffness and a lack of mobility are things that are, you know, in his future that he's going to have to work on. The other good thing about it, though, is that once you get that fixed, your hip is hit, your hip is stable. So he's not really at risk for dislocating it again. I mean, it's stable. It's no more likely to pop out of joint than my hip or your your hip. Uh, but but ultimately, it's a long recovery, and whether he gets back to his full strength beforehand, who knows. You know, my orthopedic surgeon friend that I talked to, he talked about six to eight weeks sort of non-weight bearing. Non-weight bearing means what it sounds like. It means you don't put any weight on that leg. Usually that means you're walking in crutches or a walker. And then there's, you know, the rehab process starts after that, you know, which is many, many months down the road. So it's, it's a life-altering injury that Tua had and unusual. Yeah, it seems pretty clear that you know, this this has been, and again, you mentioned the Bo Jackson comparison. The, by far the biggest headline of, of this injury has been comparing it to the Bo injury, which I think when you see every comparison, the same comparison, that means that there's, there's probably only one, uh, which just shows how rare this injury is. I, I, another one we sort of thought of was Isaiah Thomas, who did not actually have a hip dislocation, um, but did have hip bruising, and we saw how devastating that was for his career, uh, for the NBA people listening. Uh, the one thing that you've touched on a few times, and I want to dig a little further into, obviously with the fracture that he suffered, you mentioned pretty dramatic loss of cartilage. It's going to be really tough to recover from that. It's going to be, you know, there's going to be stiffness. There's going to be discomfort. Arthritis is a huge risk. But you did mention that when that fracture happens, the chance of avascular, avascular necrosis is maybe lessened to an extent. Um, it's just you have a better chance of that joint surviving. And again, avascular necrosis is what eventually did in Bo Jackson. That's why he had his hip replacement. Can you explain maybe a little bit about what avascular necrosis is, what that does to the body, and why it would be so devastating if, if Tua was to experience that and why you might want to, you know. Yeah. So, so the reason they don't get the avascular necrosis with the, with the fracture is because the fracture means you don't have to stretch and rip the cartilage as much to, to dislocate it, right? So to pull that ball out of the socket with no fracture, you got to pull really hard and you disrupt all of the capsule. And the capsule is what lines the femoral head and that's where all the blood supply comes from. So the fact that it fractured means you only have to pull a little bit hard for the hip to dislocate. 
So that little bit of heart allows the hip to dislocate, but it doesn't disrupt the capsule and doesn't disrupt the blood supply. And avascular necrosis is what it sounds like. It's avascular. You lose your blood uh, to that bone. And then necrosis, the bone basically necroses, necroses and dies, and it dies from lack of blood. Apparently, it's a process that happens over several years. So uh, again, I talked to my orthopedic friend about this. And when people have these injuries, they're at risk for it. And besides trying to reduce the hip, in a timely fashion, there's really nothing more you can do. You, you follow these people in clinic, you do an x-ray every three months, and, and there's classic sort of changes on x-ray where the bone changes and becomes soft and less dense, and along with that are symptoms. So usually if you're going to get avascular necrosis, you notice it within a year or two, and a hip replacement is soon after. But you can kind of think of it as the, as the bone dies more than anything else. But I think it's, it's pretty clear that, that that's less of a risk for Tua. I don't think that's the hip dislocation he had. It's probably what Bo Jackson had back in the day, although when you read reports, it's still really unclear. His is more going to be, this is going to take six months to a year out of his life to recover from, and how much mobility and stiffness um, and, and arthritic changes is he going to have. The other one we, we've talked about and we think about was it was Marcus Lattimore, right? So Marcus Lattimore had a knee injury, but didn't just have a knee injury. He had a, a devastating knee injury, tore all his ligaments. I'm pretty sure he had a vascular injury. And even though it got repaired and he, and he came back, he never really came back. He, he, you know, he was on the 49ers. He was trying to play, but he always had pain and stiffness and soreness. Never was the same. You know, he had an ACL tear in his other leg earlier in his career, but much like the guys nowadays, Amari Rogers, Deshaun Watson, they they get those fixed, they bounce back from them. But his second injury wasn't just an ACL; it was the the entire knee joint got you know tore up, so a much more difficult one to recover from. And and Altuve's wasn't that extensive. I think the hip joint in general is a is a different um, and a more difficult um, joint to recover from than the knee or the ankle. And I think that's a difference with Tua. Yeah, and I do want to talk about his recovery period. Um, obviously, if he has avoided this avascular necrosis or, or does in the future uh, avoid developing those symptoms, that'll be a huge win, not just for his football career, but for him personally. But assuming he does not experience those symptoms, those don't come up in x-rays over the next several months, what are the steps you would advise Tua to take? What are the steps he's going to be taking to recover from this uh, fraction dislocation? Yeah, from, from what I read and understand, it's, again, six to eight weeks of non-weight bearing on a crutch. Uh, after that, it's going to be, you know, three to six months of rehabbing, right? just, you know, working with your physical therapist every day. And, and I wouldn't be surprised if he's no contact for six to 12 months, maybe even up to a year without contact sport. So nobody knows that you know he's a young stud and he's healthy and he's in amazing shape we just saw Amari Rogers do something that we didn't know was possible that you could come back and play college football five months after an ACL tear so you never know with these kids but it's not unrealistic to think that Tua is out of football and not taking a hit for at least a year now once once he recovers he's going to be stable he's going to be fine he can take a hit He's not at more risk than than he would have been beforehand, but it may take him 12 months to get all the way back. Yeah, it is very important to note, though, as as you've said, this is not as much an injury where you're as concerned. Uh, if a recovery is made, 
which there's no certainty in that. You can be pretty confident that once the player is back, there's not a, a huge chance for a re-aggravated hip dislocation. That's not um, necessarily an injury you expect to pop back up. As for Tua, though, I, I am very interested to see... This is something I've sort of thought about recently, is does he, especially if he starts to suspect as... as uh, we sort of hope that he's not developing a vascular necrosis, that he is going to be able to come back in a year or so's time um, and eventually play football at the high level he was at before. This is more of just, a, you know, a, a football personal question, but do you think there's a chance of him staying at Alabama next year uh, rather than entering the draft, um, just spending this time recovering rather than going through the draft process, uh, all this all this uh, sort of others outside football recovery stuff. You think there's a chance he maybe stays at Alabama for the year recover? There's certainly people that are talking about that. I, I think it'd be crazy for him to play football at, at Alabama again. I mean, and risk you know more injury sort of going forward. And 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 there's someone out there that's going to draft to uh, and bring them into his organization. He, besides being a great football player, he's a great kid. He's a like Lattimore, right? Someone you want around your team. And, and as sophisticated and as great as Alabama is, there's nothing like being in a professional football organization in terms of your rehab and your facilities and your physicians and a full-time thing. Because if he goes back to Alabama, he's, he's got to go to class and he's got to be a student versus once you're a professional, all you do all day long is sort of focus on your rehab. So um, I, I would be surprised. I think Tua will enter the draft. I think he will be drafted. Um, it'll be fascinating to see where he's drafted. Um, uh, I wasn't really personally convinced that he was the number one draft pick before, although he's an excellent quarterback and very accurate. He, he's not a big quarterback. He's more on the small side, but he doesn't have that Russell Wilson and Kyler Murray sort of elusiveness that some of those other guys have. The other thing I always wonder about these kids, too, that have had these horrific injuries, if there's isn't like a I wonder if they develop like a little bit of PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. I mean, you know, we saw that almost with Andrew Luck recently retiring. You could tell he was tired of being hurt and tired of being in pain and tired of being injured. And you almost develop fear of it. I I think it's probably a pretty normal thing. And, and Tua, again, hasn't been through that, but he's had some pretty significant injuries for a young kid. And to be on, you know, national television and have an injury that bad, and you know, blood pouring out of your face, there, there's a psych, psychological component to this also that you got to bounce back from, and because because nobody likes to be injured, and especially when you're having this kind of injury and you're pinned down in bed and you know, you know, peeing on a pot and things like that. I mean, that's not something most 20 year olds think about. So, I wonder how he'll back he'll he'll bounce back, you know, psychologically, but. This kid should go pro. Someone should draft him. Someone should definitely take a gamble on him. He's worth it. I, I, I'm really interested in the point you made about having, you know, psychological long-term effects from this, you know, PTSD, as you said. I think especially in Tua's case, as you said, the scene, I described it earlier, but it was it was chaos. It was, uh, it was obvious the trainers didn't know what to do. I mean, imagine being Tua in that situation. You're in excruciating pain. You don't know what's just happened. You don't know how much money you've just cost yourself and your family, and you're just sitting there for a minute, onto two minutes, onto five minutes of sitting on that field, blood gushing, 
everything. And, and, and when you describe that, I, I think the first one that came to mind, obviously, was Gordon Hayward and Paul George. They're sort of devastating injuries, especially Gordon Hayward on a nationally televised game. I think we have absolutely seen some psychological effects that have, he's still, only now is he starting to come out of that. And even then, I think, you know, it's very inconsistent. It's a game-to-game thing. But, you know, he was going up for a dunk on that play. It was it was like an offensive rebound. He was going for a putback contest. And you know what he's been really, really cautious to do is go inside. Uh, um, but the real one that it really harkens back to, in my mind, just the Andrew Luck comparison really reminds me of Greg Oden in the NBA. You know, this is a guy came in, such high expectations, number one overall pick, an incredibly productive player um, in his one year at Ohio State and before as a high school player. And even when he was healthy for the Blazers, put up really good numbers, looked like he was going to be an awesome pro, but it was just the fact that it was, you know, first year is an injury, second year injury, third year injury, fourth year injury. And and another one, I'm cautious to say this, but Kristaps Porzingis, you know, He's had two season-ending injuries, for, you know, two seasons in a row, and I think just the lag, the nagging injuries, lingering injuries every single year, it certainly starts to take a toll on you. And once you've made fifty million, seventy-five million dollars, does it? Do you need to play another season? Who are you? Who, what are you? What are you proven? Yeah. So the one from my generation was was Sam Bowie, right? So he was what um, when he drafted ahead of Jordan and. You know, was a great player, but my God, he had those bad legs and just kept fracturing his lower legs over and over. And just got to imagine being 20 years old and being in a cast for four or five years on and off has got to be exhausting. Although Sam Bowie was, um, he was a survivor, right? In the end, he made a career in the NBA. He was never what he should have been with all the injuries, but he made some money and played quite a few years and had a career. But there's got to be times where you sort of second guess yourself. Now, the advantage, too, has got is he's young. And not only does young help you recover physically, but it helps you recover mentally. I think there are things as you get older um, and you get injured and you're in pain, it's just easier to you know, call it in and, and call it a day and move on, i.e. Andrew Luck. Two is still young. He's young and he's, and he's strong and he's more likely to bounce back from mentally. Um, so that's the other big advantage, too, has. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think we've been giving a lot of examples that bring to mind, you know, negative connotations to be certain. But, I mean, a guy we've been watching at Clemson a few years, Deshaun Watson, uh, a couple ACL tears, you know, obviously in college and then his first year in the pros with the Texans. But, I mean, he's looked great. He's been an MVP candidate this year. Uh, He doesn't look to be suffering any psychological effects. I mean, you see the way he plays on the field. It's not reckless, but... There is no fear in his mind, that is for certain. So, you know, we, we do, obviously, injury in sports is just, it's, it's, it's close to one of the most devastating things that there is. You know, we just see it so often, ruins so many great careers, so many great individuals. But I don't, I don't, I don't want to paint a picture of doom and gloom for Tua. We've seen guys do it before. Maybe not this injury, but I'll be excited to see how Tua looks in his recovery. Yeah, this, this injury was unusual. As you watch back on the tape, I mean, you could almost see panic in the eyes of the trainers out there. They didn't know what was going on. They're used to concussions. They're used to an ACL injury. They kind of have their routine for that. But you could see panic. We we commented upon how they kept trying to stand him up when clearly he couldn't stand up. And they didn't know what to do. They were 
they were very confused, sort of panicky. And I can, I can imagine being in front of a crowd of 80,000 people. Was that the, the guys ringing their bell or that was not Mississippi yep, State? Yeah, was, ringing their bells. Absolutely. And, and you don't think that they know that they're um, handling a kid who's could be the number one draft pick and can make hundreds? Of course they do. So that makes you nervous also. When you don't know what you're doing, you're in front of this huge crowd. The TV cameras are watching you. You're dealing with this $100 million product right in front of you that there was panic in their eyes also. Uh, the other we talked about was Deshaun. So the difference with Deshaun's injury is Deshaun was a non-contact injury. So Deshaun cut his ACL tore, um, and that was his injury. Very different than Marcus Lattimore, who planted his knee in the ground, and then a Tennessee linebacker stuck his helmet into his knee when it was fully planted and stuck into the ground. So... There's probably something innate about Deshaun's ACL that makes him more prone to tearing than somebody else. Two's injury is not that. Two's injury was a freak injury. It could have happened to anybody. It had nothing to do with his ankles. has nothing to do with Tua being injury prone. Nothing to do with Tua being small or weak. It, if, that ha- if anybody landed like that, J.J. Watt landed like that, he would have tore his hip joint up. So, But I think that, that sort of injury is even more mentally fatiguing than what happened to Deshaun. Yeah, I think you've pretty much said it there. Um, I, I think we, we'll keep going back to it, and, and this is going to be a story for you know years to come, whether or not Tua does come back, whether or not he's a great football player. One way or another, we'll be getting a 30 for 30 on Tua Tagovailoa. I cannot wait to see his recovery. Uh, obviously, hopefully things go well, but we will see. Dad, thanks for coming on. Yeah, no doubt. I'm definitely pulling for Tua. There's no doubt that the victory in last year's Nationals Championship game was so much sweeter because Alabama had Tua as a quarterback. I can't argue with that. Great last words. I'll end it on that. It's a pleasure to have you all on. Thanks for tuning in, and I'll see you all next episode.